0: It's just so fascinating to me, these men who are like, oh, tough exterior and I'm aloof. And then you get them in a stadium and you're like, I'm sorry, you have so much unaddressed emotion beneath this surface. Can we explore that at halftime? Like, what's going on here?
1: It is good to be back in the saddle, as always, with uh two of my favorite people on the planet, Chantel Baylo, Betsy Bloom, ladies. It's good to see you. How are you coming into this? Let's let's set the scene here. How are you doing, Chantel?
0: I'm good. I'm excited for this conversation.
1: And Chantel, you emailed the a great idea the other day and it was on the heels of the Super Bowl lost by the Niners. This notion of sports fan loyalty and parenting, there's a lot to get into here, but like give us, before we dive in, kind of give us the lay of the land, the notes of, of this topic that's been on your mind.
0: So I uh, live in the Bay Area. <clears throat> I have a um, son in particular, an 11 year old who is a rabid Niners fan. Um, uh, my husband also grew up in the Bay Area, is finds the Niners, you know, very beloved fan as well. Um, I have two daughters who enjoy football, but are not quite as uh, obsessed. Um, The Super Bowl obviously did not end in the way that members of my family had hoped. Uh, The next morning, my 11-year-old son, um, still very morose, deep grief, and just turns to me and is like, Mom, I don't have to go to school today, do I? Um, And I was disoriented. I am not. Um, a rabid sports fan. It is confusing to me that that question would be raised of whether or not you go to school. Uh, and he proceeded to, you know, spend some time sobbing and then pulled himself together in order to face the music. And I, it was like an anthropological study of, I'm like, wait, what is happening? And it feels like being a fan and loyal to a team is a real emotional roller coaster ride. And why do people put themselves through this? Mm. So I'm excited to explore more.
1: Yeah, I love this. How how long did it take for him to sort of recover and get back to
0: I mean, okay, I would okay. say within a couple of days, I think he came home from school that day in disbelief that other people were not rattled. Like, you to could his, still you know, just go that, to
1: school and learn and yeah. yeah,
0: still go to school. Like, luckily, there's another fourth grade teacher that he could really bond with who felt that deep loss and grief that he did. But it's almost this like, wait, other people are like walking through the day and able to focus on what the teacher is saying. Um, so, felt some disconnection. But ultimately, I think you know. A couple of days later, um, you know, he was somewhat back to normal.
1: So I think there is a lot here, and we should probably point out that uh, we're going to have Lisa McCaffrey back on next week to do the Super Bowl moratorium. And you know, I, I talked to her the other day, and it's real. Obviously, she's more connected to it in a different way than uh, than your son.
0: My son would beg yeah. to differ. He thinks he's equally as connected as Lisa McCaffrey, but between but friends, point, we know that's not true. I think
1: true. it is so real. My another friend of mine who lives in Chicago, and like his son, you know, they're Bears fans. Like they're not, but this this kid, he's a Christian McCaffrey fan. He lo- <laughs> he was cheering for the Niners. I don't even think the Niners are his team, but he really wanted the Niners to win the Super Bowl. And he sent me a video of him afterwards. And this kid, it, he was inconsolable. Like. It was like he was saying, you know, like they're losers and now I feel like a loser. And I mean, it was just like he could not pull himself out of it. So it's funny because I got to thinking, you know, why is it that your, your question is spot on, Chantal? Why is it, if you really step back and think about it, when you go to a big sporting event, especially like a playoff or a Super Bowl type game, and you look around and you're like, yeah. there are all of these people who so who paid so much money, who so badly want this outcome that have, zero impact on the actual outcome right like loud fans can help right like yeah, that that's a yeah. thing but for the most part there is nothing that your son or i or you or any of us could do to actually change the outcome of a sporting event and yet if our team wins like we're celebrating we're partying we will we won right like we won and yeah. when you lose it is yeah. just you yeah. feel like a loser like you just feel it's the devastation is as real for you. And Chantal, part of this conversation that is probably important to, and you alluded to it, but what was your relationship like with sports growing up? Did you play? Did you watch? Did you care about sports at all?
0: So I um, grew up a big chunk of my childhood uh, abroad in England. Um, And so um, I'm the youngest of three daughters. I say that because I also think that there can be uh, a gender divide along sports fan lines as well. Not exclusively, of course, um, but I think that's kind of an interesting thing to maybe um, pull on the thread of during this conversation. Um, so I'm the youngest of three daughter, three girls. Uh, we all played sports. And I would say the main reason that I played sports was I loved being with friends and I liked being on a team. Um, I was rarely part of a winning team. I was benched for virtually the entire basketball season when my coach then said to me, Chantal, you have the height, but um, so clearly it was lacking in some key skill and talent, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I liked being active. I liked being with friends. Uh, my dad, you know, paid a premium to get a special cable subscription to be able to watch American football in England. Would stay up late because obviously, yeah. kind of with the time difference, and he stayed up alone. No one else watched it. Um, and so sports was kind of in and around us, but it we rarely went to live sporting events. Um, But I'm now in a situation where I have three kids, um, all of whom are very sporty and want to be engaged athletically. My husband coaches a lot. And I have, um, gosh, I think I have four nieces and nephews, maybe five who have been or are collegiate athletes. So in my kind of world, it is very present of the power of sports. And I both get it and completely don't.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And as someone who loves it and gets it, there are times that I'm like, "What are we doing? <laughs> like, what what are we doing here?" Here, here is my. Um, well, I'll give you my. So I grew up playing sports. I love sports. You know, I give my dad a lot of credit about when people ask me like, well, how did you, you know, this is a question by the way that men in sports broadcasting never get, but I get asked this quite a lot as I'll do my female colleagues. How did you get into sports? Like what, what, when did you start liking sports? Um, but I played, you know, basketball and I ran track and volleyball and soccer and all the things growing up. And I, I loved what playing sports did, which is probably another, you know, that's like a related, but separate conversation about what playing sports can do for someone. Um, but I, you know, Chantal, what you said about, you know, staying up and watching games, like that was the connective tissue with my dad and I, and I think about my, my rough years in like, you know, late adolescence, high school, when. You know i was convinced that my parents were trying to ruin my life and didn't understand me and like wanted me to never have fun or have friends or which none of that was obviously true but that was very much what my i felt like was happening and it was my you know it was sports that kept my dad and i connected we watched football together it was the language that we spoke and it's a Um, neutral language
0: right yes it's a common neutral language that's really powerful and bonding
1: right and i look up to him because he would i mean he taught me so he taught me the majority of what i know about sports i mean i would ask him the the dumbest questions i think about all those moments and times that we had and it was you know he went to notre dame so going to notre dame football games when i was little like those that was really special um so i think that what i love about sports both as a fan and as you know someone who played sports is that it connects people It, it it's when you're playing a sport there is the teammate bond that is so real um, there is a great, uh, and I actually have it written down on my desk right here. It, I went to the University of Washington to do a feature on their softball team a few years ago. Heather Tar is the coach there. She's amazing. And she had like this giant sign when you walk into the locker room that says, never again in your life will you compete with this group of people for a common goal. Mm. And I think you can apply that to so many things, right? Like I think about it in my work that I do now. I think about it in relation to family and friends like you just at at any moment in any season of your life there's there's a group of people that you're working with towards a common goal that it will never be the same again so i think sports connects people which we talk about all the time about the power of story to connect people and sports is exactly that as well um but i think it's funny i did my senior thesis at my senior thesis my grad school thesis when i was at boston university um I did it on the intersection of sports and religion, and I went out to Notre Dame. Wow! And I did a whole—I mean, man, I—if I could find that tape, we should probably burn it because it's—I'm sure it's not nearly as good as I I thought it was back in the day. But it was basically this notion of—and I interviewed some of the priests. I interviewed like a a bunch of different people on campus, you know, football players, fans, um, people in the dorms. What is it, especially at Notre Dame, which is sort of the nexus of sports and religion? What is it? And I think that ultimately it comes down to, and I was trying to go back and find my old script, but like the the main point was it's the ritualistic nature of A, feeling like you're connected to something bigger than yourself, right? Like when you go to a Notre Dame football game or any football game, there are all of these people who are strangers who you all believe and love the same thing, which is very similar to you know when people go to church probably on some level. And then it's like the ritualistic nature of, you just know what to expect there are certain game day traditions like you know we'd go to the notre dame game and we'd go to the quad and we'd get a steak sandwich we'd go and we'd you know listen to the drum line and the band would come through and the team would do the walkthrough there are all these things that you like really looked forward to that were expected and ritualistic and so and then kind of the build up to the different things so i think you know it's funny to ha- be having this conversation now and looking back at when i was trying to come up with a 10 minute. You know, story to finish off my grad program at BU, it's it's connecting the same thing. It is it is like sports are the are the ultimate connector, and it makes yeah. you feel something. Oh and much God. of what I feel about story is what sports are. So yeah, that's my my very long answer. Okay. That's oh, that's So my many day.
0: reflections in response. First of all, I don't know if we've connected on this. My mom grew up in South Bend, Indiana. Dated some. No, I didn't know that. Players, so we can talk about that separately. And mm-hmm. just shout out to my nephew. His Georgetown lacrosse team just been just beat um number one ranked Notre Dame on Sunday. So how oh, yeah, 80. amazing. Go Georgetown. That's awesome. Um anyway, so that's an aside. See, I can I can celebrate sports. And here's what it brings up for me as I listen to you, right? I think this religion sport intersection is so fascinating. A, the ritual, mm-hmm. B, right, having a congregation of sorts, right? People who there's this self-selection, we all believe this. So you don't have to um, kind of muddle through to figure out, are these my people or not? You know, at a foundational right. level, I can connect with these folks. The other thing I think it does is it gives, I'm gonna say this in a way that uh, helped help me with it, but it's something along the lines that it gives you permission to emote. And this is where I think the gender piece comes in, where when I first started dating my husband, <clears throat> I was like, this is good. We have a good balance. Cause I have a lot of emotion, <laughs> You know, I'm like, I got highs, I got lows, and he is even Steven. And then early on in our dating, when he and I were watching a UCLA basketball game, I was like, oh, you can totally emote. You have deep emotions that are repressed, and then they come out when you are enraged by a call. And I think the same for my son and this is where I'm like oh I love this that there is an outlet in this what can be a hypermasculine you know kind of orientation around how you're supposed to be as a boy or a man or and sports gives this permission to cry to express joy mm-hmm. to have like unadulterated passion when oftentimes that's subsumed because it's somehow not appropriate so that's the part of it that I really love But then similar to religion, right? If there's a shadow side to everything, sometimes my challenges with religion is, do we become lemmings? Do we kind of fall under this hypnosis of what we are taught to believe because we are raised in it? Um, Another small anecdote, when my husband and I were dating early on and, you know, for sports games, he would put on the appropriate jersey. And I, I had never grown up with that, right? And I was like, why are you wearing that? Like, you're not on the team. Like, this is really weird. Like take that Jersey off, just like wear normal clothing. It was completely bizarre (laughs) to me that you would dress up. It was like a costume, like you put on gear. So like I hid it for a period of time because I was like, I think this is so weird. And he was obviously very offended. I have come to understand, oh, this is like part of the ritual of like this visual identification of I'm with this team. But I think the other part of it that I have a problem with is it almost feels like people are under a spell and I want to, I want to be like, but why are we doing this? And what's really going on here? And have we lost our sense of like what we're doing and what
1: we're? I, about? I so. yes, to all of that. And I will say, I have a lot of feelings around. Um, and Lisa and I have talked about this before. M- grown men wearing jerseys, like whether that that could be a whole separate podcast, probably. <laughs> so I'm on your side, Chansal. Like hide Literally. those, but uh, you know. I,
0: and as another side note, I find it particularly odd that in baseball, the ritual is that the coach, I guess they're yes. the managers, is that what they're called? Oh, they it, wear the uniform, but basketball, they, you wear a suit or not all the time, just for college. Like these norms of like coaches sometimes wear the uniform. I'm like, why are you wearing a baseball uniform? We have s-
1: Chris's whole thing, manager? my husband's anyway. whole thing is like, we should, yeah. in every sport, how great would it be if if it was like baseball? baseball, where the coach had to wear... The uniform, like, can you imagine? Football.
0: Football I would want be, that for, basketball would joke. be
1: hilarious. Like any of
0: it, Old gear. Like, <laughs> not oh,
2: just wearing basketball exactly.
0: shorts, right? But you just take it as normal because right. it's like this is yeah. the ritual of the sport, and I'm like, but as an as a person not familiar with sense. this, this is so odd to yeah, me. It makes but, okay, no sense. We're gonna go. Yeah,
1: I um, <laughs> I think this is all true. The part about the emotions are that is really real, and I think that. It is, um, it's an outlet. And, and one of my, um, a guy who I've worked with in the past, who's at, who's at Fox, who's been a, a good friend and kind of mentor to mine, he, he always says, he goes, I remind people all the time that our jobs are people's release. Like what we do for a living is what people try to escape their lives from, right or wrong, right? Like when people come and watch football on a Sunday, it is their escape and so and it's it, you know it's the larger point that he's usually making is like we should be in, make sure that you're always enjoying it so i do think that it is a release and an outlet for emotion and just kind of an escape i think that is really real um but i do think there is the other side of it and and i think you know after the niners lost and again it's different you know when i talk to lisa she's like oh man it took me like a week to sort of but I'm I, i'm better but like boy it was rough that i understand like the emotional buildup and the investment of like of course it should take a week if not longer to recover
0: you're the mother like of, a of the I mean, this yes. is completely so that is all the-
1: yes and then you look at maybe your son or other people or friends of mine who are you know like i'm doing kindergarten or first grade pickup and i see a friend of mine who i know is a you know the dad of one of my son's friends and he's like he's just not right Like <laughs> you can tell he is
0: lumber <laughs> yeah
1: and it was it was a week later and i was like hey how you doing he's like i'm just i'm just getting to the point that i i can talk about it but like i never i actually never want to talk about it again like we just i've told i've told my wife we're just we're just never going to talk about that game again and i'm like wow okay
0: well, and that that's what that's and if i were to yeah. go into some deep um, unwarranted right. psychology, but it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's misplaced, right? There is something else going on that is creating pain, discomfort, something. And, and again, I think at its best sports allows us to redirect that and kind of, it, it is an outlet for the emotion that we feel, right. I think a part of me though, right, if so much of the work that I do is about helping people to understand their emotional state and then make conscious choices around what you do with that. And in some ways, I feel like because sports provides that outlet as a generalization to a lot of men, because men oftentimes are taught in many Mm -hmm. ways to contain their emotional state. So then sports becomes this profound outlet. And then I worry, I'm like, but I don't know that then we're teaching the skills for in other areas of your life how are you productively expressing those emotions and managing them and noticing them because sports almost becomes this covert way of well I'll just rely on that as a way I, of expressing
1: I think you're nailing it all I, I think you're exactly right and and what um you know there's so, I mean there's so much here and there's so many different layers to all of this but I think about uh something that Andrew Luck I, he was giving a keynote speech at this event that I was at in the summer and he was talking about how the Playing sports is—it allows you to like it is a beautiful system, and that it, it it is set up so that you fail, like it is set up so that you learn how to deal with failure. It's the system in which like you are going to fail, and that is part yeah. of it. Like you that is that is built in. You are never going to be successful one hundred percent of the time. You are going to fail more often than you succeed, and you yeah. have teammates and a coach who pick you up and make adjustments and and get better. And Andrew's point was, he said, you know, they say that like sports set you up for real life, but we have not built the system outside of sports in many ways, unless you go seek it to help people through this stuff. And you need it your whole life. So, from your perspective, Chantal, like as a coach, when you think about sports in that way, in the role of what you do for work, like does that bring up something for you or make sense in a different way?
0: I think I think you're right. I don't think the systems exist in many ways for you know, kind of outside and just in general um, you know, kind of failure and do you have the support systems around you as a society? I don't think we do a great job of that, but I will say looking at my son who follows all sports all the time, you know, he calls it watching film. So it's not screen time because he's in training by, you know, watching the Warriors basketball game. I mean, it's like, he'll watch like college (laughs) cornhole, like, it doesn't matter as long as there is like some sort of ball in motion for him (laughs) to pay attention to and i'm like oh there is something though that it, he is building this skill of knowing there will yeah. always be another chance there will always be another chance so get it you get to the peak and you're at the nine you're a niners player you're at the super bowl like will there be another chance in these immediate players you know kind of career maybe not but there's always there is another game there's another opportunity and so i think it does at its best, it can almost wire your brain to remember it is short term, there is another opportunity and to uh, kind of the stakes maybe feel slightly less high. That's not to say he wasn't devastated and that every loss doesn't wear on him. But, you know, with the amount of baseball games and basketball games that there are, you can kind of rebound a little bit more quickly, potentially. Yeah. So that's kind of one, one thought that comes to mind that I think, again, that is a coaching tactic of how do we gain perspective around how high, how high mm-hmm. the stakes really are. They're actually in real life. There always will be something else that will come up. You fail at one thing, there's an opportunity somewhere else. And so almost how to widen the aperture and see it a little bit more clearly. The other thing that was coming up for me though, as you were, as you were talking, and again, I think this comparison with religion is so fascinating. So may we connect your you know dissertation in the show notes. Um, but is also this idea around winning and losing where like, that's not a part of religion. And that's also the part that I don't totally understand because I get, I get drama. Like I love a good book. I love a good TV show. I get that sports incite this, like I'm invested in something and I care about these players and their stories where I start to not be as engaged is like the stress of winning and losing. I'm like, Someone's going to be really bummed, and someone's going to be really psyched. And I guess for me, I help me understand, Ashley, yeah. why is that feeling versus just like a, the drama where it's like there's nuance of sort of who's yeah. I mean, them. part
1: of it is the ultimate, and it's one of my favorite, um, you know, speeches or quotes. But it's like the man in the arena, Theodore Roosevelt's speech in Paris in like 1910, and it's it starts with it's not the critic who counts. But the the line that I really love, it's the the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who at the best knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Like it is, it it Mm -hmm. should be on everyone's wall because I, and that is what I feel deeply is I'm like okay, if you're going to fail, like fail spectacularly, like go for it. The the worst is like standing on the sideline in life, in sports, however you want to put it, like putting yourself out there and risking things and risking great, you know, so why do people, it's like the win and the loss because you, the feeling of winning is so good that you're willing to go through all of the losses that come, um, to have that feeling. And it is, I mean, being a fan is different than actually playing. And that's what this whole, you know, Theodore Roosevelt quote is sort of about, in my mind, yeah. um, it actually makes the case for like fandom is ridiculous because you literally are just standing well, on the sidelines. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, I'm, and, and at its best, it can translate into, oh, see how hard yeah. they're working, see how much they're yeah. laying it on the line, ccc. But I think in some ways we have, because there is this whole world of fandom, it almost gives permission to judge <laughs> from your couch or judge from the sideline versus turning the mirror on yourself to say what's what does that mean for me? Like what am I? How am I going to give it my all? How am I going to show up and fail spectacularly? Um, it, it, I think that's the other part of it that I struggle with. That it almost creates this excuse is too harsh of a word, right? I know that fans are just having a good time, but it can sort of be like, oh no, that's their job, not mine.
1: It, Chantel, really you're hitting on something that own. I think is at the core that I'm glad you brought up because I it, this is one of the biggest issues, especially with social media now. I know a lot of college athletes. You would not believe the stuff that people will say to these young people on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. On It is... Disgusting, stuff, right? horrible! Like I, I'm just like, what is like? Who hurt you? You know? I'm like, like, what? Is, yeah. who hurt, and, and what are yeah. you're sitting on yeah. your couch or whatever? Like, and you're gonna sit. Somebody Absolutely. already feels. I mean, Lisa talks about this all the time. She's like, no one wants it more than than the than the person who's competing, right? Like th- th- these totally. people have put their lives Absolutely. into it.
0: Absolutely. It- it, it, and their bodies through yes. and the risk that they're it taking. Is, and it's so
1: then it. for you to like sit there on, you know, while you're eating your potato chips and like make some, whatever it is. But there were, there there was some that really got me going on the Stanford women's basketball team had some fans who just, and again, I'm like, these women are unbelievable and they're Stanford students and they're, and here you are sending the most absurd offensive like rude and i just think that is where and and that is it used to be that you could never fans never had access unless you know you'd always yell stuff there's always fans that yell ridiculous stuff at games and that was as close as you could get to the athletes now with social media like everybody has access to they think they do you know directly to these people and it's exhausting and it's awful and it's easy to say don't read it but it's really hard to not to be able to completely Push it away. So that is one thing that I just feel awful for current athletes, but professional, you know, high schoolers, college kids, like all ages, like it doesn't You probably get more used to it. And as you're a pro, and you're making millions of dollars, it's it comes with the territory, that criticism, but I'm like, man, that that is the ultimate Theodore Roosevelt quote of just like, what are you doing? Like you are sitting on the sidelines.
0: Well, and it's also the ultimate of sort of like what happens. And again, I think this is where I I like to be part of a group and I like to sometimes be like, eh, I'm yeah. different from the group. And so I think it plays a little bit into my orientation of I don't know that I love to be like all in with like a particular group identity. And I think sometimes when we are all in with a particular group identity, like groupthink takes over, right? And suddenly we think that we are entitled to something or that we say things that we would never say if it were, we didn't kind of feel as though there was this mass behind us. Um, so yeah, I think sort of what what's, I mean, and, and like anything, right? There's like beauty and gorgeousness in it. And simultaneously there can be this yeah. shadow side if we don't pay attention to it. But it's just, yeah, it's something I'm so unfamiliar. Like, here's another another thing that was sort of shocking to me that maybe will resonate for you, Ashley. And I was talking to my son about this. So I was, my husband, like, sent me some portion of a Bill Simmons podcast. He's an avid listener. And Bill Simmons was talking about how crazy it is that, I, I don't know what the current stat is, you know, something like 50% of people get divorced, but no one divorce, no one divorces mm-hmm. their teen. Like you are loyal to whatever team yeah. you were connected to, but people are willing to be like my, that wife of mine, that husband of mine. We like, have
1: kids together. It's not working but out. Working. So
0: you know what, whatever. It's going to be a real yeah. doozy financially, but it's worth it. But, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm a Niners fan or I'm a Warriors fan. Like nothing would get between yeah. me and that, you know? And I was, you know, testing my son to just be like, is there any version where you might imagine becoming a different, you know, to him, it's just incomprehensible. And so again, this sort of this like, this like blind loyalty and it's not blind. It's some, it's a part, it, it has become so much a part of who he is and what he feels connected to, but it's just a bit of a mystery to me when I'm like, well, but all relationships, some evolve or come to an end or need to change or shift. And with fans, yeah. that's not the it's, case. it's
1: interesting you say this. And and Betsy, I want to bring you in and, and ask you about your um, fandom as a as a Bills fan because I think you can probably speak directly to this. Like, you could divorce the Bills if you wanted to. Now you would. Now I'm not saying that you should, and and they've given you plenty of reasons not to recently. But uh, I, I think that True. well, a perfect example. So I grew up a Broncos fan, right? Like, and I I love the Broncos. I will the the best win. The two best wins as a fan that I have ever experienced was in 1998 when they won their first Super Bowl. I was a sophomore in high school, and that was like, oh my! I just remember feeling the that was pure euphoria. Like I just couldn't believe, you know, it was yeah. it was amazing. And I was like, it was a you know, it was also I think probably the first time that I had consumed alcohol and watched a sporting event. So that probably maybe <laughs> helped with. The I highlighted, highlighted for you, but either way, I just remember that being. And then Super Bowl Fifty, when the Broncos um, played at Levi Stadium out here in San Francisco or in Santa Clara, and beat the Panthers, I was there with my brother and with Alex, and that was. I I just remember at the very end, like saying a prayer because no one thought that the Broncos were going to win. I just remember saying a prayer, like God, if. The broncos win this game i will never ask for a team of mine to win another game again like i will never ask for a single sports related request ever again just give me this one and he gave it to me so i can never complain about like i'm never going to be sad you know ultimately about another loss again because i traded all of my equity um for that one and it was it was totally worth it but it is I, i felt this different feeling because obviously i've become a 49ers fan living in san francisco for 12 years and then really what did it was obviously christian and, and lisa and the connection there and that's why when people who i you know ask me when i they find out what i do for a living they always say oh well who are your favorite teams like what i i'm sure you have a favorite team you know in the pac-12 like who's your favorite team and i just say you you cheer for people like you become friends with people or you love people's stories and you just you pull for them like if christian went to another team god forbid i would be a fan of that team if you know
0: yeah but that's that is an unusual fan to, well that's what mentality.
1: i'm saying it is totally People different don't. than yeah, exactly don't. Yeah. and i'm sure there's plenty of yeah, friends yeah, yeah. of mine who are like are you telling me you're a niners fan now right because players right.
0: players aren't they loyal believe, right listen. i mean players get traded players but but fans I know. are and it's the
1: ups and downs loyal. so okay so betsy let's let's bring you in and last i want to hear about your um as you've got your bills shirt on there <laughs> what what's your relationship with the bills
2: yeah well I think I have a healthy relationship with the Bills. And actually, Chantal, what you brought up, I was thinking about that, I was like, that's such a good point. But I think true loyalty, like a person who truly values loyalty, would also be like, I'm gonna stick it out in this relationship in the same way that they would stick it out with their team. Like the people who are sending horrible messages on Instagram, that's yeah. that's not loyalty. Goodbye. That's the opposite of loyalty. Like you're basically you're saying when the chips are are down, you're not going to be supportive. Um, it's like in sickness and in health. <laughs> the Bills have had many moments where their fans have had to question that. I will say that my dad divorced the Bills because I he emoted so much during that period of yeah. four losses, and he was like, "Never again!" Like I can't put my heart it's out there. He's much. like emotional state just
1: couldn't handle
0: so does it.
1: He right? watch got, like he was anymore? like, "I'm not ready." Like, does to get he even again. watch him or will he watch and just kind of really? No. Wow. He but goes, he won't, but he, but
0: he wouldn't, but he wouldn't attach himself to a different team.
1: No, no. It's right, right. Bill, so he wouldn't
0: would, remarry it's not, if we he doesn't stick with care about metaphor. football
2: if it's not the bills, but he won't watch the game. He'll, he'll listen to it because I think he truly like, it wow. was too hard for him. But in, in the way that I was thinking about like, why are Buffalo fans? Because obviously we have a reputation for being <laughs> over the top and also very loyal bills, mafia. And I think there's a couple of things. One, I think that Buffalo is such a gritty city. And so there's like sort of like a, it's for me being a fan, I love the current bills. I love Josh Allen, but like, it's about mm-hmm. my city. It's about like wanting my city to do well and wanting to have a win because it's not a city that has had a ton of wins mm-hmm. in both metaphorical and literal ways, but, um There's this documentary, it's called The Four Falls of Buffalo, and it's about those four Super Bowl losses. And my favorite part of the documentary by far is Scott Norwood misses the field goal. He feels horrible. He comes back and there's a giant rally for the Bills in Buffalo and they all, everyone is chanting his name to come out. Like, he's like, I'm going to hide. Like, they hate me. I'm the most hated person in Buffalo. And it's the whole... Um, Town Hall Square is just full of people chanting his name and he comes out Aww. and everybody's cheering for him. And that to me, that yeah. is the the good side of sports. That is the loyalty that shows like they were supporting, they were yeah. supporting the man in the arena. Like none of them could have kicked that field goal.
0: Oh, and to like be in that intense community and supporting right. a collective goal. I mean, that's amazing, right? It right. feels it's, so yeah. good to be with people in that situation
2: exactly and like you know this year it's like the same thing every year like bills fans get their hearts broken and then they pick their heart up that was like splattered off the floor and put it back in their chest and like smash a table and so i think that that resilience (laughs) is uh
1: except for your dad your dad was like i've had enough The other thing that I really truly do not understand, and I've been in a couple of these situations once when the Red Sox won the World Series when I was in Boston and once when the Avs won their first Stanley Cup when I was in Denver. Um, I do not understand a city that wins a championship and burns the city or like riots and flips cars and destroys stuff. And I'm like, what? what are we doing here? Like maybe if you lost and you're trying to get out your rage, that is, but I, that is one thing that I I truly, that would be a whole nother, we'd have to get like a serious, you know, <clears throat> many psychologists in here to figure out exactly what the hell that is about because it makes no sense to me. Um, right. Yeah. I, oh man, there's just so much more that we could go into this on and I, I know that we should, can and should move on. But I will say, I think the thing that you realize and I think, I can't remember which one of you made the point, but oh yeah, Chantal about, how many times when you when you suffer losses and and most of the times you talk to athletes like they remember the losses way more than they remember the big wins it's that is such a more of a core emotion that stays with them than the wins and the euphoria um but i think that when i look back on like the most heartbroken i was talking to chris about this before we recorded i'm like what's the most heartbroken you've been after a loss and he said, he goes, oh, the time that I cried the most was after my last lacrosse game in college. Like it was, and he goes, and we won, but it was the mm-hmm. saddest I ever felt because like I sort of knew it was, over. yeah. It was the
0: last time. And that played. that
1: goes back to just the beauty yeah. of sports. And I think for, you know, women and girls in particular, I am super passionate about this. And we did an episode with Bonnie Bernstein that, you know, we, you should go back and listen to it because she's got a whole thing about it. But you know she's doing an entire series on this exact thing but there was a you know an espnw study done recently that like 94 of female c-suite executives played sports in their youth and i just think about who i became yeah. and of course sports is like center to my world but i just think about the impact that it had on me and my competence and how to navigate relationships and how to learn and how to, all, all of those things that sometimes can feel like cliched were it is fundamentally core to who i became
0: oh my god yes and yeah and just to like double underline again having kids who are playing pretty intense sports i you know i did not i feel like i learned the lessons vaguely um but seeing you know when i have a 14 year old daughter and the idea that yeah at playing volleyball being tall and being strong is good and that is not necessarily what is signaled to right Teen girls in this era. And so, so many, both from a character standpoint, a sense of personal responsibility, right? Feeling a real sense of, I, I, there is something I need to do. If you're part of a team sport, there is something I need to do to take care of my team. I feel a sense of obligation and responsibility and being part of a collective. I mean, there's so many, I think, incredibly powerful life lessons. And like with anything, how do you tend to it not going into overdrive that then you're getting the downsides of burning down cities or burnout or intense injury or all the other things that I think these experiences
1: also- And we will link to, you wrote a terrific blog, Chantal, that I I have sent to a lot of people and a lot of um, friends who have kids who play sports, but it's, it's called The Magic and the Madness of Youth Sports. And I think one of the things, and you're talking about your daughter, right? And all these crazy, I mean, youth sports period. And this could be again, a whole nother conversation of like what it's become and how like it's so different than when we were growing up and when we were playing like the level of, it, it is so intense. The club sports, the travel, the cost, the time away from like, yeah it's a business
0: that it is which is really just money motivated (laughs) praise
1: and and what you (laughs) so beautifully lay out in that blog is you know i think you you talked about like instead of fixating on like what the hell are we doing because there's many moments in which i'm sure a lot of parents like you look around you're like what am i doing it's about like taking a step back and trying to figure out like where's the hidden magic and i think that is true for i mean that's such a beautiful way to think about things both for use sports, but you could apply that to any single thing in life. And it's the old, ultimate, you know, cliche of like, it's about the journey, not the destination. But it it's true, like it are those little magical moments and connection points that you have with your daughter that are going to be the connective tissue for long beyond, you know, whatever, however long she plays volleyball. I appreciate you guys so much. And like I said, we will have Lisa on who actually can you know, speak a little bit more to the true intensity of a loss when you are so emotionally invested and, and come so close and, and yet fall short. So we'll see what she has to say and how Christian's doing. Um, that will be next week. But as always, it's a gift to be with both of you. Totally.
0: Do we want to do a round of quick gratitude?
1: Let's do a round of quick gratitude. Thank you for reminding me. You go first since you remembered.
0: All right. Well, in the spirit of sports and I've I've been um, kind of like Wendy Weiner here in terms of the the things that maybe um, how sports brings us down. Um, I and I am grateful for youth sports. Um, I feel really grateful for um, I'll name my husband as a coach. Um, So he's coached all of my kids, um, softball, basketball, baseball. I really love the intentionality that he brings in actually focusing on how do you develop these little humans? How do you help them to support each other, right? The requirement of whenever someone strikes out softball or baseball, he requires that everyone is in the dugout high-fiving and cheering them to kind of like, how do you instill this sense of it is hard. It is hard to be up there trying to hit a ball. It is hard taking a shot. And how do you like celebrate versus making people somehow feel bad? Um, So to all the coaches out there who are intentionally trying to develop the hearts and minds of small and big humans, I commend you because there are incredible life lessons to be taught. Um, Competition matters and it is the whole person. So that's what I'm grateful for.
1: Beautifully said. Betsy, how about you? I
2: think I'm just gonna continue with my diehard Buffalo theme and just shout out the city of good neighbors and to tell them to keep trucking. And also like we are at our best when we're cheering on Scott Norwood after missing the field goal. So I hope we always stay positive and
1: we keep believing despite the despite the odds. That I mean, you should be on like that that should be. I'm gonna I am going i do not know who the marketing person at the Bills is, but I'm gonna send them that clip. And that you're going to be like their new marketing. That's going to be the video. It should be.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, I'm really just trying to get hired by the film. That's my whole. The
0: ulterior motive is revealed.
1: I won't include that part.
2: I'll be linking my resume in the show notes.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, there's so much that is like coming into my brain when I think about a sports related gratitude thing. Like I, I have been, it's been my whole life. I mean, it's it's sports have been um, central to who I have become. And then I think about the biggest thing is the people that it's introduced me to. And I think about some of the coaches in particular, you talk about coaching Chantal, and I'm going to give a shout out to Tara Vanderveer, the Stanford women's basketball coach. She is someone who I just look around and I think, yeah, who went to your same high school, by the way, Betsy, Buffalo Seminary, shout out. Yeah. And every time I'm around her, she is she is the most normal, easy to talk to human being on the planet. Like it's just Tara, like she's just so and then and one of her players said this and I couldn't have agreed more. She broke the all time wins record for any college coach. She passed Mike Krzyzewski at Duke for the all time winningest basketball coach. And we were there this was a couple months ago. They beat Oregon State. And they had, oh man, dozens and dozens of her former players that were back there. They threw, Stanford did such a good job. They threw this huge celebration afterwards in which a lot of them got up on stage and told different stories and they played all these videos. And I was just sitting there and I mean, I had like tears in my eyes and I'm like, I I know what a big deal she is. I know how lucky I am that my career overlapped with hers for 12 years. And yet hearing how many people she impacted over 40 years of, of coaching, it, it's un, it was unbelievable. And I've looked at her completely differently since then. I mean, not completely differently, but like I have just have new level of understanding and deep appreciation and respect for what it takes to stay committed to that craft, to go through all the things that coaches, especially on, you know, in that, in that level goes through and all the criticism. And I just, I think the coaches out there who are in it for the right reasons and who are helping young people become better versions of themselves and understanding that everybody kind of needs something a little bit differently, so you have to really get to know your kids and your players. it's um it's one of the best professions, and I, I think that uh, I am grateful for all of the amazing coaches, but especially Tara Vanderveer, that I've gotten to be around. So. Um, go Buffalo, though, also. All right. I appreciate you guys so much, and we'll uh, we'll have a lot more coming up. As always, we thank you for listening, and please subscribe wherever get your podcasts. I don't know anything about algorithms. I just know that it really helps the show, and you can watch us on YouTube as well and check out our social media. And if you have any sports-related questions for any of us, drop us a line, email your podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.